apologize, but it's going to kind of be a special night. We've got kind of a tag team thing going. Dole and I are going to both uh, share something tonight. We did paper, rock, scissors like 10 times, and we kept tying, so we're like, well, we'll just both do it tonight. So I'm going to do half an hour. He's going to do half an hour. So if you don't like me, maybe you'll like him. If you don't like him, maybe you'll like me. So at the end, we're going to both stand up, and we're going to like vote on who's the best so we get to go on to the next round, okay? Um, <laughs> With all joking aside, Preacher is back in the country. He's between here and Atlanta somewhere, so he'll be back on Sunday. Um, so you get to hear him again and uh, not me or Dole or whoever. So uh, go ahead and get your Bibles out and turn to Jeremiah 29. Uh, we're going to read a few uh, verses out of Jeremiah 29. I got about an hour-long message to do in half an hour, so I'm going to talk really fast. So can you listen really fast? No? Okay. All right, so in this part of uh, Jeremiah, basically what has happened is the Jews have been exiled, have been taken captive by the Babylonians. Uh, they've been moved into their country. Um, they basically have lost all their possessions, lost their home, their land, uh, relatives, family, um, and, and a lot of bad things have happened um, to them. So Jeremiah writes this letter to them to try to encourage them, because I'd be very discouraged if I had lost all my family, relatives, everything that I have, and been moved into a country that I'm captive in, and also that country is not a God-fearing country. They worship idols, so it's a lot of bad things that have happened to them. So he writes this to encourage them. He writes this to kind of inform them, uh, because on top of all of that, there was a bunch of false prophets going around sharing information that was untrue about what had happened. A lot of them were saying that, hey, in five or six months, by summer, by winter, you'll be back home, and that wasn't the truth. That wasn't God's plan. So let's go ahead and read, and we'll get started this morning. So Jeremiah 29, we'll start in verse 4. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that carried away captives, who I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon. So it was God who caused it. All right. Uh, it says, To build ye houses and to dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Uh, take ye wives and begot sons and daughters and take wives of your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of this city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord unfor it. For in the peace thereof you shall have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets or your uh, diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which he caused you to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, uh, I will visit you and perform many good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expedited end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all nations and from all the places wherein I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place where hence I caused you to be carried away captive. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray you just please help us tonight as we learn more about God's plan and, and what he has in mind for us. Lord, I pray you just please help me have the words to speak, uh, to, to encourage and to help uh, those that have come out tonight. I thank them all for being here on a cold night. I just praise you and thank you for that. Lord, just please help us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So from, this, uh, from these verses, we can see that God has a plan for all of us. Now, he was talking to the Jewish people in this verse. He wasn't talking to the Gentiles. He was talking to the Jewish people. But we can take a lot out of this that we can apply to our lives, okay? Uh, he wants us to see, succeed. God wants us to succeed in all we do. 
Um, he wants us to prosper. The problem is that in today's society, a lot of Christians want to make their own plan. They don't want to follow God's plan. They want to make their plan. They want to make themselves the center of that plan and not Jesus, not the all-star of what we've got going on. And we also have a lot of false teachings going on out there that tell, teach people that you know, there's a false hope and that God has plans for us that may not be what they need to be. Um, the true hope is based on the revela- uh, revelated word of God, not on the dream messages of self-appointed prophets. God gave his people a gracious promise and plan to deliver them, and he would keep his promise. Uh, God makes his plans for his people, and they are good plans that ultimately bring hope and peace. Therefore, there's no need to be afraid or discouraged. So what is a plan? So I looked up what does the word plan mean in the Webster's Dictionary. Basically, a plan is, according to the dictionary, is a method or way of doing something that is decided on beforehand. So a plan is something that happens before you get to that point. A plan does not happen while you're in the midst of something. Right? That's reaction. That's not a plan. A plan is something that happens beforehand. So God has a plan for his people in these verses that after 70 years they'd go back. But they had to get through those 70 years. Just like in our lives, we have things that he has planned for us. They're not always fun. They're not always great, but they get us to the point he wants us to be in. All right. So if anyone knows me at all, you know I'm the church administrator here and I love a plan. So every time anybody comes to my office, office they have to have a who what when where how how much is it going to cost when's it going to happen that's what i'm about if they come into my office without that they're not going to get approved right it's not going to happen uh you ever watched the a-team back maybe many years ago who the a-team is all right i may be dating myself a little bit because i'm almost 40 now but you know there was a person on there that was the leader of the group and he always said i love it when a plan comes together that's who i am that's what i love to do i love when that plan comes together um so what is our plan? What is God's plan? What does he want us to know about his plan from these verses? Has anybody ever put together anything when they were, like, you maybe had kids and you had a, 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 say it's Christmas time coming up, right? So as a parent, guess what we have to do a lot of during this time of year? Assembling things, right? So what are instructions, basically? Instructions are plans to take something which is in a bunch of pieces and do what with it? Put it together, right? So we, that's what a plan is. Um, so We've got to think about that in our life, God takes pieces in different circumstances, different things that happens, puts them together to make something great, right? So, the first thing I want to talk about is the purpose of the plan. All right, number one on your little outline there, mine's the first part of your outline, is the purpose of the plan. If you look back on verse 4, out of Jeremiah 29, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, who I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon, all right? So there's a purpose for the plan. He had something in mind, all right? There's several things that, was, that I want to talk about out of that. And the first thing is, is God's plan was to save his people, all right? So it says in there that these were a remnant of the Jewish people. So he had to keep the Jewish people alive and going strong because as we read through, his, through the Bible and as we go on, guess what? We had to have Jesus come along. He had to come, be born. He had to die on the cross so we could be saved, right? So his plan was that he wanted everyone to be saved. And to do that, he had to keep somebody safe through this process, all right? So God wants us to be protected while in captivity because he wanted everyone to be able to be saved, right? So in Romans ten thirteen, it says, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, all right? That's what it's all about. And 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth, all right? So the first purpose of his plan was to keep the remnant saved, which we can apply to us because that through that, we were able to have salvation through Jesus Christ, all right? Without that remnant being saved, guess what? There would have been no Jesus. There would have been no cross. There would have been nothing. We wouldn't have had no way to get to heaven, all right? So the first thing is, and the purpose of this plan is always is to be saved. In our plan, in our life, the first thing we've got to do to follow his plan is to do what? Is to be saved. We've got to be saved. We've got to trust in Christ, trust in him with all our heart, all right? So once we do that, there's a next step in the plan that we want to talk about. 
And that's the most unfun part about any plant is the molding stage. He wants to mold us, right? He wants to shape us. He wants to shape us into something that he has envisioned when he made us, right? Um, so, you know, one thing is back when I was a long time ago, when I was a young person, my mother used to do ceramics. Anybody remember doing ceramics? You know, you go to somebody's house and you get to mold something out of clay. You know, I think one time I went and I made like a little saucer pan or something. You know, it looked really terrible, but um, it was, you know, thumbprints in it and all that good stuff. And guess what? It had to be done. It had to be heated, right? So once you formed it, you had to heat it. You had to go through something. Then you got it back, and then you could paint it, decorate it. And then what? They had to cure it again with the glaze so it wouldn't break. So there's a process in molding that we have to be heated. We have to go through the fire. So sometimes the plan that God has for us is to go through a trial, go through something that may not be a whole lot of fun. It may not be an enjoyable time, but it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. He wants us to go somewhere forward in our lives, all right? That's the way he molds us. And sometimes he molds us because we've gone out of his will completely and he's got to get us back into shape, all right? So there's two things that could happen. Sometimes it's he's molding us for the purpose and we're in, we're in his will and we're just going along in the right direction. And sometimes it's he has to mold us because we're not where we need to be. He needs to get his shape back in the right spot, all right? Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father and we are the clay, right? And thou art our potter and we are the work of thy hands, all right? He's shaping us. He's molding us. He's there to help us, all right? But what the, the key to all this is, is even though he shapes us and molds us and makes us, guess what? We have a free will, right? We can choose to not go with that, right? So we can choose not to follow his direction, and, and that makes things not a whole lot more fun, right? That makes it worse. So, you know, my, my, I've been through life many a times when I knew I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do, and I wasn't going the direction he wanted me to go in, and guess what? He had to correct me, and he had to correct that mold and get that back into the right spot in our lives, all right? So it's better to follow his will, follow his direction, follow his purpose, and not fight against it um, because his hands are really strong and really big, and I don't like going against that, all right? So, you know, the first thing we see is we see um, that he wants to save us. The second thing is is what? What What's he want to do next? mold us and the third thing is he wants to propel us all right he wants to propel us he wants to send us on right so once we get saved we get molded into what he wants us to be he can then propel us into wherever that direction he wants us to go in all right so matthew 28 19 a very familiar verse it says go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i have commanded you and lo i am with you always unto the end of the world amen all right so we need to be going. We need to be doing whatever that is he has for us to do. Jeremiah talked about this when he was talking to this remnant. He said in, in verse 7, it says, it says kind of a little ways down in there, it says, pray unto the Lord for it, that he wanted him to pray for the people that were there around him, for the Babylonians. He wanted to pray for them, not to have, make war with them, to have peace with them, to be there with them, not to war against them, to be a good testimony in front of them. So even in their captivity, in the middle of the plan, in the middle of heartache with no home and no nothing, we had to, he wanted them to be witnessing and wanted to be helping them and moving them forward, all right? So, you know, if we apply that to our lives today, guess what we need to be doing? We need to be reaching our friends, reaching our community, doing what God wants us to do, which is to witness to people, to get involved in whatever ministry we need to get involved in, to, to be active in missions, or whatever that may be for you. Like that next step, like Andrew talked about that on Sunday. What is our next step? What is the next step he wants you to do in the plan? He wants you to be moving forward all the time. We've got to be moving forward in our process of what he has for us in life, okay? So what was, verse, what was point number one? It was Savior. It would be saved. Number two was mold us. And three, propel us. All right. 
So now that we kind of know the purpose, you know, why did God do this? Why does he do things? He wants us to go forward. He wants us to be molded. He wants us to be saved. What are some particulars of the plan? Again, going back to who I am, I like particulars. I don't like just like, well, I think it might look like this. No, no, no. I want particulars. What is it going to be like? What is he going to do? What's going to happen with it, right? So number two is the particulars of the plan. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give an expected end, all right? So your plan is important to God. He has thoughts about your plan, about your life. You're important to him, all right? And in a lot of things, you know, we understand about what goes on, on on this earth, what goes on with our vehicles, our houses and stuff. But God's plan, we don't always know, all right? So A is God's plan is not always known by man. It's unknown by man, all right? So God's plan, it's his thoughts, not our thoughts. It's his ways, not our ways. Um, the Jewish people didn't understand what was happening to him in this verse. Because if you read earlier in the, in the chapter there, and earlier in the book, basically God had saved them multiple times from being captive. He saved them over and over and over again. But this time it didn't happen. And they didn't understand why. They didn't understand why they were being put in captivity. They didn't understand why they had lost their family and their friends. They didn't understand what was going on. Because it's God's plan. It's his thoughts, not our thoughts. Um, and, and when we realize that and we think about that, we can think about B, which is that the, the plan is determined by God, all right? If it's his thoughts, guess what? He's determined what he wants to have happen. He's determined where he wants you to go. He's determined what is going to happen. Um, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, all right? So when it's God's plan and it's determined by God, it's going to work. We just got to follow that plan, all right? His plans are always better than our plans, right? Countless times in our lives, you know, we've always been our way or his way. Guess which way is always better? It's always his way, right? He knew that the outcome would be before we were ever went down that road. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen to these people in captivity after 70 years. They were going to be returned to their land. They just had to follow that plan to get there, all right? So we got number one. We had, you remember what number one was? The, the purpose. Number two was the particulars right number three is the provisions of the plan right if we have a plan we got to have some way to accomplish that plan Um, he wouldn't put us on a plan he wouldn't put us on a direction if he hadn't given us the tools necessary to make that happen right Um, so in matthew 6 8 it says be ye not therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask of them right so god would not have a plan he would not have us do something if we didn't have the ability to do it all right so what are some things that we can use that are provisions that God has given us, given all of us, that can help us on this path, on this journey as we go through life? Uh, the first thing is the spiritual resources that are needed. So we've got to look at some, what are some resources, so spiritual resources uh, that, are, that are needed. So the first thing that is really important and one of the most important things we have on this planet is our Bible, Right? The Bible is the ultimate authority. Uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect through fully furnished into all good works. All right? The Bible tells us how to live, how to act, how to react, how to be, how to follow God, how to be with God, how to communicate with God. It tells us all of these things. It's why it's the most important tool we have in our toolkit when going through life, going through his plan, whatever that may be, may be is the Bible, all right? So the Bible is the number one resource that we have with us today. The second thing is, is the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come unto you, and ye shall, have the, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. All right, the Holy Spirit's in us when we get saved. He tells us what's right and wrong. We know what it feels like if we're doing something wrong. He's going to tell us. If we're doing something right, he's going to tell us. He's the one who guides us and directs us using what we read through the Bible and through communion with God. The Holy Spirit can direct us with the right directions to go through life, all right? So the Bible, the Holy Spirit, number three is the church, right? Church is very important in our spiritual resource and our toolkit, all right, for following God, following his plan in, in, in life, all right? Um, so Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, um, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, all right? It's very, very important to be hooked up in a church, to be hooked up with a local body of believers that can help you, can encourage you, can be accountable to so they can help you when you're going through hard times. They can help you when you're going through great times so you can help other people that are going through hard times. The church is very, very important in all of these areas as we go through life. Um, and, and one of the most important things I think about church is our life groups. I know Jason's probably in here somewhere, so I'm going to give him a, a props for this. But life groups is where... You can really get down and have people really help you through life, to help you through your hard times, can help you through what you're going through, because that's that small connection point where you can really get involved with each other and help each other and keep each other, each other accountable, all right? So that's a very great resource. The church is a very great resource, all right? So we've got spiritual resources that are needed. We've got the Bible, we've got the Holy Spirit, and we've got the church. But we also have something else that's very, very important. So when we get saved, God gives us spiritual gifts, all right? These gifts are used in the ministry, used to do God's plan, which is to help people get saved, to help people who are struggling, whatever that plan may be, all right? So in Job 10, 8, um, basically it says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me together round about. So God formed you and shaped you even before you were born. So he knew what he was going to do before you were born. He knew what you were going to be destined to do, all right? And so it said, the Bible says, In your mother's womb, God has been molding and shaping you since you were born. God started uniquely shaping you even before you were born, right? Even before you were born, God knew on that day you'd be sitting here listening to me, and hopefully you're still awake, right? We're all still awake. Um, so he knows every day of your life before you were even born, all right? So some things to remember in this. So God shaped us for a reason. He made us for a reason. He gave us the gifts, the talents, the abilities for a reason. We've got to find out what that is so we can follow his plan, so we can do what we need to do in life. Um, the first thing is, is I was shaped for a purpose, right? God did not make it an accident. He did not make a mistake. He did not make you the way he did on accident, all right? We're all unique. We're all different. We all have different makeups, different abilities, different talents, different likes, dislikes, right? Um, we're all unique. There's nobody else like you in the world, right? Everybody's thumbprints is different, all right? Everybody likes different things. Um, you know, if you don't know the ministry God has given you, everybody, nobody else is going to do it because God made you unique. Everybody has a spot. Everybody has a, a purpose and then this plan and we got to find out what that is, all right? We're all unique, and we're all wonderfully complex. Somebody and everybody in here, you are a 10 in some area, all right? We've got to find out what that is so you can fulfill that purpose he has for you. If it's singing or if it's helping with the kids or if it's, you know, parking cars or standing up here and preaching, whatever that may be, we've got to find out what that is so you can fulfill that purpose, that plan God has for you in your life, all right? And probably the most important thing in this whole section is that God gives us second chances, all right? So... Very, very, very important, that provision of second chances, right? Uh, like a patient potter, God is willing to mold us again when we resist him and damage our own lives. 
The famous Scottish preacher, Alexander White, used to say that the victorious Christian life was a series of new beginnings. No failure in our lives needs to be fatal or final, although we certainly suffer from our own sins, our own mistakes, right? God gave new beginnings to Abraham, Moses, David, Jonah, and Peter when they failed, and he could do the same for you, right? The Jewish people in this were given a second chance. They were put in captivity, but in 70 years, they got to walk out, all right? They got to make go back to where they were, back to what they were doing, all right? He gives us second chances. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes, but God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. And that's good to know in our spiritual walk and our spiritual walk as we're going through our plan. If we do make a mistake, guess what? It's okay. He's going to help us get to the next point. He's going to help us get back on track. He's going to be there for us, all right? He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us. He's going to be there with us, all right? So what was number one? Anybody remember? The purpose. So what was number two? All right, there's more of you in here than that now. Come on now. If I don't, do I need to say church, say amen, all right, so I can be? No, I'm just joking. All right, what was number one? Purpose. The purpose. Number two? Particular. Number three? Provision. All right, and the most important and best one is the prize of the plan, right? So when we're in the plan, we're doing what we're supposed to be, there's going to be some things that we get to enjoy, we get to take part in, right? It's the prize of the plan. Um, in Jeremiah 29, 14, it says, at the end, it says, I will bring you again unto the place where I ceased. I caused you to be carried away captive, right? So they got to go back to their prize, go back to where they were. So when we do that, First uh, Peter 5, 4 says, and when the chief shepherds shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So we got to stick with the plan. We've got to keep going forward because of multiple things, all right? So I'm going to go through this really quick because it's on your paper. But we're going to have his friendship, right? So when we're in, the, we're in his, the prize is going to be, we're going to be a friend of God, right? It says, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servants knoweth not what the Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known unto you, all right? We're going to have his love. He's going to love us. He's going to care for us. He's going to be there for us, right? As the Father had loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. That's John 15, 9. Number the C is his joy, right? We all want to be joyful, right? We want to be happy. We all get to do what we love to do, right? And we're in that plan. We're in that will. We're following his direction. We're going to be joyful. We're going to be happy, all right? Is every day perfect? No. I get to do what I love to do, which is administrate and tell people what to do and do that kind of stuff. And it makes me joyful, right? That was supposed to be funny. <sighs> you can see. Um, but... Yeah, I know, Angela. But, you know, the joy is, is so joyous to be able to do what God has designed and gifted me to do and planned for me to do in life. And that joy is amazing. Now, some days, you know, it's not, but most of the time it is, all right? And D is his glory. We get to, glass, we get to be in his glory. And the glory which thou gave me, I gave given them that they may be one even as we are one, right? And E is his risen life, all right? You know, we're going to be with him. We're going to be rose. We're going to be up there in heaven because we've been saved, all right? <clears throat> Uh, F is going to be his inheritance, all right? For ye few children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together, right? It's his inheritance. You know, there is something we're working for. When we're serving and we're going and we're doing and we're following his will and we're doing his direction and we're doing things, guess what? There's a prize. There's an inheritance. There's something to look forward to, all right? And that's not earthly, but it's heavenly, all right? And his future reign, to him that overcometh will I grant to to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcame, and I am set down with my Father in his throne, all right? That's out of Revelation, all right? So I'm going to kind of close with this. Um, some of you may not know this. Some of you may know this. This is kind of my testimony. I'm going to kind of give you, like, the plan that God had for me, all right? Um, just to let you know kind of how God works, because he works in mysterious ways. Um, so I grew up, was born in Oregon. Uh, I grew up most of my life in Phoenix, Arizona, in Chandler, a suburb of Phoenix. Um, so... 
when I was there, we didn't really go to church. My family was not spiritual. Um, they did not go to church, uh, maybe on Easter or Christmas, but we didn't go most of the time. Um, and when we, we did go, we may have gone to a Methodist church or a Catholic church or whatever. Um, my family was morally sound, but they were not spiritually sound, all right? We didn't do bad things and didn't do drugs or smoke, do all that good stuff, all right? Um, we just didn't go to church. You know, I graduated really close to the top of my class. I was an Eagle Scout, which used to mean something. I don't know what it means now. Um, um, I was morally good. I have never drank alcohol. I've never done drugs. I never did any of that. But guess what? I was lost. I was going to. He- I was not going to heaven. I was going to hell. And there was really no way that we were, that was going to change because we live in Arizona. Out west is a different society. Church is not really that popular, that big. It's not really that important. Most people don't even really care about it. Um, but we actually came out here and visited my aunt and uncle who lived here in Coleman back in I think 1993. And my parents and all of us really loved Alabama. It was a really nice place because we lived in the desert. And in the desert, there's not a lot of green stuff. So when you come here and, like, everything's, like, green, it's like, wow, I didn't know there was much, much green ever, right? Trees are green, grass is green, everything's really green. So they decided when they came here that, hey, we need to move here. You know, we went to church, and it was awesome because we'd never been to a church like the one we went to when we came here. And it wasn't this one, so sorry. Um, our first church here, um, and we're like, well, we need to move here. So we Went back home, back to Arizona, and they tried to sell their house. Wouldn't sell. We found property here. We were waiting for the house to sell. We waited like a year, year and a half. It wouldn't sell. So we kind of gave up. So when we gave up, we decided, they decided, I wasn't really old enough at this point, that they were going to buy an RV, a motorhome, right? a brand-new motorhome. So they bought a brand-new motorhome off the lot, like five miles on it, right? So we drove it. We went on a couple of vacations. Um, like a couple months, we had it. And in the third month, it was sitting beside the house, brand-new motorhome, right, brand-new motorhome, and guess what? It got ground and burnt to the ground beside the house. So we're like, wow, that's kind of weird, all right? So it was, I think it had maybe 500 miles on it at the point that we had used it like twice, all right? Um, so it burnt to the ground, and magically there was a piece of land that kind of just came open up here in Coleman that was exactly the same amount of money they had bought for the RV that came open here. And they're like, well, why don't we go and buy the property? So they bought the property, all right? So we're like, okay, I guess we're moving out here. So I went ahead and registered at UAH. So my lifelong dream, as long as I can remember, um, five, six years old, was I was going to be a weatherman, all right? I was going to do weather stuff. I was going to study the weather, whether it be on TV, whether it be uh, in, in research, whatever it may be, I was going to be a weatherman. I grew up, my, my idols were not like singers. It was like weathermen on TV, you know. And James Fan, well, I wasn't here, so I don't know. It wasn't James Fan. But there was another guy in, in Arizona, and I got to meet him one time. It was like the best thing ever, right? So that's what I was going to do. My plan for my life was to be a weatherman. So UAH has an atmospheric science program. That's a weather program. Or I could come and learn and, and study and, be, and fulfill my dream for my life, all right? So I got accepted, got a great uh, offer, you know, scholarships, all that good stuff. So I moved on out here, but guess what? My parents' house still didn't sell. They were still stuck back there, but I went on anyway. That's probably the hardest thing I ever did was actually getting on an airplane to fly, like, across the country by yourself. You know, I'm not an emotional man, but I think I actually did cry that day. So that may be the only day I've ever cried. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I came out here. Um, it was great. I got to go to my uncle's church. I uh, went to a judgment house around Halloween. scared me to death. I was like, man, what's going on? I don't know about this stuff. Kept going to church. Got saved. Um, but that wouldn't have happened if I, the, the, the process, the plan hadn't taken place, right? Um, and it gets even better. My parents finally sold their house. They moved out here. My brothers, my sisters, um, 
they started going to church here at Temple, got saved. We all got baptized. It was a great time. And then about 2003, 2004, God said, I think I need to call you into the ministry. I was like, uh, I don't think so. I'm doing weather stuff. I'm doing my plan, right? I want to do my stuff. I'm like studying weather and chasing tornadoes and going to hurricanes and all this fun stuff I was getting to do. He said, no, I need you to do that. So I surrendered and started volunteering because I said, I'm surrendering to volunteer. I'm going to start helping out, coming in here and there and helping. And then in 2006, he said, hey, I think I need you to go full-time in the ministry. I was like, uh, I don't know. I just got married, and I'm trying to build a house, and I got really good salary over here, and I get to play in, like, tornado stuff. He's like, no, I need you here. So I said, okay. So I submitted to him, took a major cut, took a major thing, but God was working through the plan the whole time. And through that, I got to become full-time here at the church. And guess what? His plan was better than my plan. I, get to, I enjoy way more what I get to do here at Temple. I get to enjoy way more the administration and, and, the, and the, the graphs and the charts and all that good stuff. That's just what I am. That's what I did, was designed for. And what's even better is I can, he'll get to do stuff with the weather. Like here and there, I'll just go out and do it, and it's like for fun now. So it's great to see what, that, what God did in my life through the plan that he gave through me. Now, I couldn't see that in step A, B, C, D, E, or F, but at the end, you know, God's still doing, I'm still doing different things, but to go from where we were in Arizona, would not have gotten saved, would not have gone in church. I, I, I believe that right now because it just wasn't a priority out there to come here. The process of the RV and the land and the house and all that stuff was all working together to fulfill what God had planned for in our lives. So when you're down and out, when you're like, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, I don't know what I'm doing, just pray to God and ask him, please show me. Show me that direction. Show me where I'm supposed to be. Do I need to fix something? Do I need to change something? Do I need to change directions? Do I need to go a different route? What do you want me to do? What is that plan for my life? Because he's got one for every one of us. He's got something for all of us to do. Just like this, the, the remnant here in, 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 that was in captivity, they had something they needed to do while they were there so they could come back and fulfill the destiny that went forward, which was to see Jesus born, to see Jesus die on the cross so we could all be saved. All people could go to heaven. And that had to happen through all of this. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, see what Dole has to give us today. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you so much for uh, just your blessings. I thank you so much for the plan you had in my life, for just how you worked, how you moved, how you just you put all things together the way you, only you could, Lord. I pray just please help us as we go forward in life, help everybody in here to find that plan, to, to be encouraged that there is a plan, that there is something, there is hope, there is something out there that is what you want for them, Lord. I pray just please bless them and help them. Give them and, and use them and give them the tools that they need. Give them the direction they need, Lord. I pray just please move in a great way. Help those. He, he, he finishes up tonight. Just please touch him and help him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How's that? I touched something. Amen. All right, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I want to talk a little bit about tonight about being a believer. I'm a believer. And um, I'm going to read some through the chapter 1 of Mark to kind of bring us up to speed on where we're at. And, uh, yeah, just bear with me. I've got a little bit of reading to do. I'm going to kind of skip through the chapter, uh, the first chapter, and then we'll hunker down in chapter 2. To start with, in chapter 1, um, we see John coming, uh, John the Baptist, and he's doing his thing. Uh, Jesus comes, he baptizes him. I'm going to paraphrase a lot here. And um, 
after he baptized Jesus and, and got that all done and out of the way, uh, out of the way, um, it says uh, in verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And after this, Jesus starts recruiting his disciples. Um, in verse 15 it says, And saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. Sounds a whole lot like John the Baptist to me right there. Um, after, after, or now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, uh, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And uh, they straightway forsook their nets and followed him. And then he went a little farther in verse 19, and he came across James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in a ship mending nets. And straightway, what did he say? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He said, come on, guys, hook up with us. And they left their, his, their father and the servants and the, and the people they had hired, and they went on uh, to follow Jesus. And they went into Capernaum, in verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the uh, synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at the doctrine. For he taught them um, a one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have you to do with us or to do with thee, thou Jesus, son of Nazareth? Or thou Jesus of Nazareth, I'm sorry. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. What, what's going on here? And immediately his fame spread abroad all the region around about Galilee. And then after that, they go to Simon's house uh, and healed his mother-in-law uh, of the fever. He touched her, and, and immediately or straightway, um, the fever was gone, and she ministered unto them. And she got up and fixed him some supper. I do, I, I'd heal her for a free meal, amen. Um, and then in verse, um, in verse 32 it says, And even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, or they searched for him. And when they found him, they said unto him, All men seek after you. Man, everybody's looking for you. What, 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 did you, what did you leave? Everybody's looking for you. And he said unto them, Well, let us go into the next towns 
that I may preach there also. This is cool right here. It says, for therefore came I forth. He said, let's break camp. If they're looking for me, let's break camp. Let's get out of here because I've got to go minister to them. That's what I'm doing here. That's why I've been sent is to minister to, not to be ministered to. Um, and then there came, um, and he said unto them, da, 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 and verse 39, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Verse 40, uh, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now what's he saying now? I know you can, but if you will, make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and said unto him, said, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for the testimony unto them. What did he do? Exactly the opposite of what Jesus told him to. Verse 45, it says, But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter. He was telling the, he told the first person he saw, and he told everybody after that exactly what happened to him. He wasn't waiting. He didn't do what Jesus told him. But inasmuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in a desert place. And they came to him from every quarter. They was coming from everywhere. He couldn't hide. They, they, was, they was searching him out. They was finding him. And that brings us up to chapter 2, and that, this is where I want to take our text from. In verse 1 it says, And again he entered into Capernaum. Now he started in Capernaum, remember that. He entered in Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not as much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick with a palsy, which was born of four. That word born there means carried. There was four guys toting him. All right? And, and when they could not come nigh unto him, they couldn't get through, they couldn't even get to the door for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith did he see? Their faith. Their, whose? Whose was that? The four guys, all right? And when he saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason you these things in your hearts? What, what, 
whether is it easier to, 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 to say the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say arise and take up thy bed and walk? But, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed. And the glory and they glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Wow. Lord, I thank you, God, for this opportunity. I pray, God, you'll touch uh, tonight, touch uh, lives in here, touch hearts, God. Just help me, God, speak through me and help us to be a blessing tonight, Lord. I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, the first thing we see, I, I'm taking from this, you see the title on the message, I'm a believer. And there's some things that you'll experience as a believer. Anybody in here a child of God tonight? Amen. Have you experienced some things since you've been a child of God, since you've been saved? Have they all been good? No. For most part, yes. Okay? Um, the one thing that we see in verse, uh, in verse 3 uh, is that there, there, is, there is labor involved. There is labor involved. Being a Christian or being a believer, doing what God has for you to do, and if you are a child of God, you have a calling on your life. Like Dustin said, well, you might not be a preacher, you might not be a teacher, you might not be up here in a choir, but God has something for you to do if you're living and breathing and able to get out and do it. There's a calling on your life as soon as you accept Him. Um, there's labor involved. A, it takes manpower. How many did it take to tote that dude? Four. Y'all, I just talk plain and simple up here. That dude and y'all and stuff like that. So just, if you don't understand it, raise your hand and I'll get a translator up here, all right? Um, but it takes manpower. It took four men to carry him. It says, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four or carried by four. Uh, and in Ecclesiastes uh, 4.12, it says, and if one prevail against him, Two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's strength in numbers. Man, sometimes we're going to have to enlist some help. Preacher can't do everything at this place on his own. Amen? Dustin can't do everything on his own. I can't do what I do on my own. Man, there's people that helps me out every week, every Sunday. Sometimes we got to have some help. There's labor involved in the ministry. And, and as bad as this sounds, ministry is, is hard work. It really is. Somebody says, wow, you just work at the church. You don't. Man, I want to tell you something. It, 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 a lot of times it's physical, but most of the time it's emotional and, and mental. I'm, I'm about half mental anyway, so I don't need no more stress on me. All right? But anyway, there's labor involved. It takes manpower. The human need, or a human need, Move these four guys. Amen? What's it take to move you? What's it take to move y'all tonight? B, not only 
Does it take manpower? But there's a mess made. There's a mess made. Now, them old boys, how far did they carry that dude? I ain't got a clue. It don't say. They might have towed him all the way across town. They get there, and it's, it, it, it probably looks like Walmart on Black Friday morning, about 6 o'clock. You can't get close to the place. They tote that guy. And they, what are we going to do? Back then, the houses mostly were made with a door in the front. You go in, and there would be stairs made up the sides of the buildings onto the roof. Well, they get there. They can't get in the door. And they're like, now we're going to have to tote this joker up the stairs. So here they go, up the stairs. They get up there. They pull the roof back, and they bust through the roof. Ladies, y'all think they made a mess? I mean, they, I'm, they just went straight down to the floor. It's just made up of mud and grass and, and maybe some palm limbs up there and stuff like that. Down it went. Sometimes, if you're doing what God has you to do, it's messy. It's messy. Um, I want to tell you a story, and this, as God is my witness, is a true story. This happened to me. I was, I was in Florida in 02. I got out of Bible college, and I went to Preacher's Dad's church at that time and, uh, and, and, and pastored there for almost a year and a half. And uh, while I was there, there was this dude come up one day, and his name was Henry. We were a couple miles from the interstate, give or take, and it's kind of like it is here. Everybody that comes off that interstate would, would come straight there if they needed something or wanted something or they knew it was a church, they could get a hand out. Well, here comes Henry. He comes walking up. and How many of y'all know Brother Travis? All right, Brother Travis's stepdaddy helped me at the church. He was like a maintenance man. He cut the grass, weed-eated, kept the place looking like the, like the best house on the street. And um, me and Brother Ray was there one day, and uh, up walks Henry. Henry walks up, and he's like, good day. I'm like, you ain't from around here, are you? So he's like, no, mate. And I'm serious. He's talking like some Australian dude, all right? So we talked to him. He's walking, don't have a ride, just hitched a ride from wherever and give us this big old spill. And, and we, I believed him. He's just down on his luck, needed a place to stay, something to eat. How many of y'all seasoned believers in here knows what a prophet's chamber is? I see a couple nods in one hand. And y'all ever heard of a prophet's chamber? I'm going to give you the definition of a prophet's chamber. A dark, musty, stinky room with a lamp and a bed in it. That's where a lot of churches would put a preacher when he come and visit and preach. Put him up in the best room in the house. Amen. Well, but ours actually had a window, and it had a bathroom and a shower hooked to it. So... We tell Henry, here's what we'll do, dude. We'll, we'll, we'll put you up, but it's not going to be for free. We'll take care of you, and you can stay in this room. You've got the shower, the, the, the bathroom. We'll, we'll feed you, but you're going to help us every day. You're going to get up, you're going to get out here, and you're going to work with Brother Ray. All right, mate. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 
He said, all right, Joey. Y'all know what Joey is, don't you? That's a little baby kangaroo. And um, so we, we get into all that. This was on a Thursday, like, or a Friday, maybe. Well, that Sunday, Henry was right there on the front row. At the end of the message, Henry come up and got saved. And, and, I, and you know, I, I first I thought, yeah, he's coming up here, going to go through the deal and get a little bit more compassion from everybody. But, man, I went down and I prayed with him. We didn't have altar workers down yonder. I was the altar worker. And um, I walked down and prayed with him. And, man, he was weeping. He was, he, he was weeping like a baby. Henry, sure enough, got saved that morning, all right? Well, as a concerned pastor, Travis's mother went to church there also, and she worked for the sheriff's department. I don't remember whether I told her to, do you remember? Or she took it upon herself to run a background check on old Henry. Well... I was harboring a fugitive. Uh, I had myself one of these messes that we're talking about. Uh, come to find out, Henry was, had some warrants on him from Arizona for passing bad checks. And uh, he, got a, he got away from them. Well, in all that, I got hooked up with a detective there with the sheriff's department, Brother David Brooks. Great man of God. And uh, he came and me and him sat down. It was on a Monday or Tuesday. And um, we were talking. I was asking, you know, what do I need to do? <laughs> Am I in trouble? Am I going to get put in jail? You know, what are we going to do with Henry? And he says, well, here's what needs to be done. He says, he says I'll, I'll go right outside your door here. I had two entrances into that office. One come from inside the church and the other one come from outside. So, They've gotten this little foyer area at the inside door, and I went out and got Henry and brought him in. I had David stand there because, look here, I'm a fighter, not a lover. That dude jumped on me. I'm, I'm done. Amen. Yeah, I'm a lover, not a fighter. That too. She knows. She knows. Amen, sister. I'm going to have to get up here more often. No, I'm just kidding. But me and David talk about what we need to do with Henry, and, and he tells me the plan. So I go out and get Henry, Henry and bring him in. So, I, and, and, and you could tell Henry knew there was something up. There was something going on. So Henry gets in there, and he sits down, and I'm sitting behind my desk, way behind my desk. had a big desk, too. And uh, I said, Henry, you know I love you, don't you, brother? He said, yeah. He says, and I love you too, mate. And uh, he, uh, we were talking, and I said, I said Henry, as, as pastor of the church, and um, we, have, we have run a background check on you, and it's common we do that with people coming through because it's my responsibility to keep the people in the church safe, the community safe, and all. He says, he says I understand. And I could see... Almost like a come over him. It's almost like he was relieved. And um, I said, you know what we have to do? He said, 
He said, yeah. And um, so at, at that time, I think that might have been her cue or something. I said something that cued David to walk in. So Detective Brooks come in, and he sat down, and we talked very calmly and, and, and just explained to Henry what we had to do. Had to take him to the St. Lucie County Jail and uh, await extradition to Arizona. So he cuffed him, this procedure, he cuffed him, and as they was walking out, I didn't think about this. I haven't thought about this in a long time until today. He turned around and looked at me and said, thank you. He said, I'm tired of looking over my shoulder. Um, and then I just, I'm like, you're thanking me for putting you in jail? And so in the weeks to come, I went to the jail. We put money in an account thing so he could buy stuff and food and whatever. Took him some, some new drawers and socks and stuff like that. Continued ministering to Henry. And Henry was an awesome guy all in all. And I told that story to say this. You know, the ministry is messy sometimes. I didn't know what I was getting into with that dude. And, and I had to do something I wasn't comfortable with. I had to sit there across my desk and tell a dude, it's probably about the size of Mark Bird sitting there, me little old feller, say, hey, dude, I'm going to have to put you in jail. That was not comfortable. But the ministry is messy. Sometimes we make a mess. They broke the roof. Hey, but they got the old boy to Jesus. Not only do we see that there is labor involved, but number two, we see that there's a life change. And with that story of Henry, there was a life change right there. Amen? Um, in verse... Five, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. When he saw their faith. I, like, I looked over in Luke 5.20, and, and, and Luke's got it. I like the way Luke says it, his recollection of it. He says, he says Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. I like that he said man instead of son. But that's just the way it is. I don't know. It was, I like that. Y'all don't have to like it. I love you, Luke. They don't care that much for you. Um, but we see a life changed. How was it changed? It was changed through mighty faith. Through some mighty faith. Um, those guys, those four... I don't know. I talked to Andrew and Jeff this, today. I don't know that these guys even had a, had a connection to Jesus other than hearing about him. Don't know. Probably not. It was, it was noised abroad. Everybody was talking about him. So they're going off of what they're hearing. So that, what they were hearing was exciting enough and believable enough, if that makes sense, for them to say, you know what? We're taking our buddy... And we're toting him and letting him see Jesus, and we're going to get him fixed. Because back all through chapter 1, man, he, they're saying, man, he's cast out demons. He's healed leprosy. You know, he, he's, 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 he's healed cripples already. This piece of cake. So through mighty faith, this man was healed. Um, Jesus, Jesus was touched 
by their trust in Him. Jesus was moved by their faith in Him. Um, you know, Proverbs 3, uh, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct thy paths, or shall direct thy paths. Um, their trust in Him, their faith in Him, is what Jesus moved upon. And let me ask you this. If Jesus is looking at you, is there enough faith in you to get help for somebody? You got enough faith? Are you trusting Him enough tonight to bring someone to Him that, man, I know He can help you? Where's your faith at? Where's your trust at tonight? Not only was it mighty faith, but that was mighty power. Mighty power. And in, in Mark 5 through 11, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there was a certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak such blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or arise and take up thy bed and walk. And here's where he gets them. But, but, that ye may know that I, or that the Son of Man, which is him, hath the power on earth to forgive sins, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. Y'all ain't satisfied with me just saying, Okay, hey man, your sins are forgiven. No. Okay, let me show you something. Hey dude, hop off off that thing right there and pick it up and take it to the house. If Whatever it takes. There's mighty faith. And there's mighty power. And through that we see that life changed. And then, thirdly, we see the Lord lifted up. Number one. What was number one? We see labor involved. Number two, we see a life changed. And then, number three, we see the Lord lifted up. In verse 12. Verse 12, it says, And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Where I come from, I've heard my mom say this a lot, Pwn my honor. We ain't never seen nothing like that. Where'd that come from, pwn my honor? I've heard all my, well, pawn my honor. But just imagine that looking, we never saw it on this, we ain't never seen nothing like that. It was done in such a way where he had to get the glory for it. To, 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 to close tonight, God received the glory for this miracle. Amen. Our purpose as a believer, as a Christian, is through our daily walk, 
whatever we do, it should be done to bring glory to Him. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank You for this time. God, I thank You for those that have come out tonight. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that, that something Dustin or I said tonight, Lord, will, will touch a heart. God, if, if it don't do nobody else any good, it sure helped me today. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray You'll touch. Give us all a good week. Lead God and bless. In Jesus' name, amen. And as the preacher would say, go get your kids.